Hello and welcome to Deep Lorable, a podcast where a couple of friends dredge the internet for the deepest lore. I'm Michael Bastine. And I'm Billy Staples, I think. Are you sh- You think? You're not I sure. Think. I don't know. I might be an alien wearing a skin suit. I- Oh. Did you forget to- Well, I guess if you're not Billy, then- Today's episode is aliens, and this is not referring to species of animals or plants that are not indigenous to a certain area, nor is it referring to people immigrating from one country to another. This is referring to extraterrestrials. Billy, why don't you give our listeners a little bit of a rundown on the topic? Aliens in the, in the sense of, the, of extraterrestrials would be... Uh, Anything that is not of earth, of earthly origin or something that humans cannot explain inherently. Something beyond the good old terra firma. The Turians or Mass Effect are an alien or the Salarians, which are the lizard. Well, I guess technically they're not aliens because they did come on Earth. They were on Earth before, but... From Earth? The, the Salarians from Doctor Who, the lizard people. Or the Xenomorphs from... Aliens. The aliens from Aliens. Just to grab some pop culture references that aren't strictly video game related. Uh, well, I guess Doctor Who isn't video game related. Kind of. Let's see. The the uh, the Vulcans from Star Trek. We have a lot of examples of aliens in pop culture. The Vulcans are Spock, right? Well, I would. I I think it would be more accurate to say Spock, Spock is, is a Vulcan. A Vulcan. Yeah. Yeah. I get the Vulcans and the Romulans mixed up because they look very similar. Do the Romulans look? I thought the Romulans had the brow thing. They, at least as far as I remember, are just the... They just have pointy ears and have slightly green skin. They have a... They've got a... Their forehead's got a little bit of a brow ridge going on. But you are right. Especially the earlier Romulans look a lot more like Vulcans. Oh, then yeah. later, but they tend to see they seem to have more pronounced foreheads than the Vulcans. We could also bring up the Klingons, but I don't know how to describe them. Angry. <laughs> it's not inaccurate. No, that's not really. So I, I think I think just as a kind of brief, I almost want to say content warning, but that's not right. The same kind of kind of caution that we put up when we. Did our episode on cryptids. Billy, are you a, a believer in sort of extraterrestrials visiting Earth? Uh, I think that there is some form of intelligent life other than us out there. Mm-hmm. I don't think we'll find it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, that's kind of similar to where my stance is. I'm like, the balance of probability, it would be... It's it doesn't seem unreasonable to me that there may be some kind of intelligent life out there somewhere just given how massive the universe is but there are far too many more likely reasons and explanations behind basically everything that we've seen so far that there is no way intentionally or otherwise that extraterrestrial life forms have visited our little corner pocket of the galaxy which is to say for those of our listeners who are a little more inclined to believe in these kinds of uh, phenomenon, forgive us. We're coming at this with a 
skepticism would kind of be a generous term, but from a from a place of non-belief, even though one of the alien species that I found were vegans. <laughs> There are a lot of, like, sources, quote-unquote, on the internet as far as, you know, alien uh, extraterrestrial life forms go that are questionable at best due to, you know, understandably the nature of the topic at hand. And so I don't know if this, like, I tried very hard to keep my research to species i guess kinds of aliens that people more commonly accepted as like enthusiasts more commonly accepted as real but it's very hard to sift through all of the information between the intentionally science fiction and the dubious reports but i i did see something on an <laughs> a supposed alien race known as vegans Hmm. uh, that uh, look humid but are said to be gentle and peaceful. Hmm. There's another variation of this that is humanoid but has the characteristics of a reptile or insect. Both species are said to have large eyes. The only thing that made me really include this uh, amongst the other things is that they are from the source that I found, they are said to be living in the Pleiades. Pleiades, which is a, a star, which seems to be a popular uh, locale for certain certain alien life forms. Did you did you find anything more on? I did not. Okay, because it is a specific group that I'm thinking of. Uh, they're referred to as the Nordics. Hold up. Yeah, I know. That's part of why I brought this one up. Because... They were named due, apparently, they were named due to their resemblance to Scandinavians and are claimed to hail from the Pleiades star cluster. I'm pretty sure that's just the Nordic people. Like, the, those are real people. Like, those are just... Just Scandinavians. Either those are just Scandinavians, or we just found out the real world, real world equivalent to uh, Valhalla, or not Valhalla, Ragnarok. Asgard. Asgard, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, maybe. I do this a lot when we're talking about like mythological creatures and general like legends and stuff. But I'm always thinking in the back of my head about how did these things get made? Like, how did these things get started? And it is kind of interesting to have that Asgard kind of situation where you've got a a group of, of god beings and they are supposedly from another like dimension or place or from the sky and there are a lot of myths throughout humanity about creatures like this the you had the egyptians and like the egyptian gods and the you know anubis and ra and all that um you've got zeus and that whole pantheon and it seems like a popular a popular turn of mythology to then interpret those things as alien like extraterrestrial extraterrestrial life forms what kind of things did you find billy i did find a short story oh upon the flatwoods monster oh so uh, referencing a little bit back to our cryptids yeah episode where a couple of the cryptids seemed to have potentially extraterrestrial origins 
Uh, do you have a description of the Flatwoods monster? So the Flatwood monster was seen to have a head that is in the shape of a spade, and it has bright, glowing red eyes. Hmm. A Roomba. Yeah, and also described as having small claw-like claw-like hands and clothing-like folding, as if it was wearing a giant dress. Not to get us completely off track, Billy, but don't just agree with me when I say flathead and glowing red eyes is a Roomba. I mean... What kind of Roomba have you seen that looks like that? Uh, I once saw someone glue googly eyes to their to the top of their Roomba. Yeah, but do googly eyes glow burning red? I mean, they could. What Roomba is found in the forest? <laughs> this here's an AT Roomba, an ATR. <laughs> it's got six-inch rims on its wheels. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, oh, I'm sorry. Carry yes, carry on. <laughs> so this thing can clean up half the forest in one trip. It's apparently two times the size of a human. It's a big Roomba. However, when the authorities were called, they investigated the area, mm-hmm. as you do, yeah. and eventually deduced that maybe the monster in question was just a barn owl on a tree. The red eyes are kind of striking, but. Yeah, that's fair. Flat face, glowing eyes. We have a reason for the red eyes. Oh? There was a comet that had passed by. And it's believed that the the owl was basically just standing in, in front of where that comet was going. And so as it was passing over, it made it look like the owl was bright, had bright glowing eyes. Hmm. Yeah, I could see it. Like, an owl's eyes already will reflect light when you kind of shine yeah. a light near them. And this isn't just rapid speculation. They saw the saw this meteor from different angles in different states. Right, right. So the meteor as well, or the comet, the meteor? Comet. Listen, meteor. we're not astrologers, astronomers even. That's what I meant to say. We're neither astrologers nor astronomers, but in, speci- in specific, specifically, we're talking about astronomy here, not astrology. Also, the noises match up to a barn owl. Yeah, owls make some spooky noises, especially when it's like the dead of night and you yeah. don't know what's going on. That's very fair. They also, I don't I don't remember what exactly they said, but they said something like the, re, the combination of all these plus paranoia and hysteria just mm-hmm. being in the dark. Right. It's probably what led to the imagining of this creature. It is a it is a popular popular. It is part of the human brain. Yeah, the human human brain do that sometimes. I was reading around in different places, and one site that was kind of talking about popularly accepted like forms of extraterrestrial life had a line in it that, that was apparently a quote from somebody where one quote-unquote expert in the subject said, if someone tells me they've never seen a UFO, the question I ask is, do you want to see one? And... At least to the people on this site, that was referring a little more to, supposedly, there are a wide variety of aliens that have some kind of psychic sort of 
telepathic read on living creatures around them. And so if you're quote unquote broadcasting that you want to see them, you are more likely to, like they're more likely to show up, which is a little tinfoil hat for me, but does speak to a different psychological phenomena that is actually, that like is, is fairly well documented amongst humans where if you're looking for something, you're kind of more likely to find it. You're more likely to sort of selectively interpret the things that you see and hear through the lens that you are looking for. If you go into a movie and you're expecting you're expecting to not like it, the things that you would normally not like about the movie anyway will jump out at you a little more. Yeah. And you're more likely to come out of that movie not liking it. In a similar vein, if you're expecting and wanting to see aliens and flying saucers and all that, it's a little more likely that when something happens that is difficult to explain, it will seem more like aliens. Speaking of aliens. Well, that is going to be the majority of this episode, so I hope we have other segues that we're planning on writing. (laughs) Not very many segues you can have with Alien. Listen, we can't afford a lot of segues here on Deplorable. They're expensive. Our budget is about 32 cents and some pocket lint. Oh, yes. I have facts about the movie Alien. Ooh. It's led to believe that the success of Star Wars is what also led to the success of Alien. Mm-hmm. Because everyone that they pitched, everyone that the directors of Alien pitched it to didn't really like the idea. Yeah, like, Star Wars was kind of huge in that uh, respect. It it played a large part in, like, up until Star Wars was actually released on the silver screen, it, Sci-fi, like Star Trek played a huge part in this too, but sci-fi media was largely like B-tier movies and like the the kind of corny monster movies that you expect to see from, you know, the 50s, 60s kind of era. And so it just seemed like like kid stuff, not kid stuff, but, you know, goofy and like there's not a lot of money in it for any serious studios and then star wars came out and star trek came out and evidently aliens then also sort of rode on those curtails coattails yeah the other bit of knowledge that i have and i don't know how valid this is because i couldn't really find anything else on it Mm mm-hmm but apparently, so the Xenomorph, Facehugger, and Chestburster was, were designed by H.R. Geiger. Right. That is fact. Yeah, yeah. I guess there was a interview with one of the developer, one of the writers and directors. Apparently when they went to H.R. Geiger, he was doing opium to not listen to the voices in his head. Hmm. And when HR showed the designs for the alien to, like, the alien and the chestburster and facehugger to the directors, they went, yeah, that's pretty scary. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. Without better documentation or sources, I'd hesitate to put too much weight on the the allegations of drug use and, uh, we'll call it slight mental instability of Mr. Geiger. But I don't doubt that 
Like the xenomorph, the facehugger, those things definitely seem like the kinds of things you see in a nightmare that you write down. There are a lot of people can have some pretty interesting difficulties with sleeping. And there are some there are some dreams that people can definitely. Oh, boy. Nightmares can get pretty crazy. And if you have the mind to write it down and somehow other in other ways remember, intentionally remember these things, you could make some pretty killer movies and special effects off of them. And I'll bet after the number of artists out there that have allowed hallucinogens to play a not insignificant role in their creation of art, that it's not impossible that these things were uh, some pretty serious acid trip monsters that... Geiger had invented. There's also, I also have a, a minor fact as to why the alien looks the way it does. Oh. Geiger specifically wanted the alien to look vaguely human, but a human in full plate armor. Yeah. And have these very outstanding. Honestly, some of the scariest monsters are things that I don't know what it is. I don't know what primal fear it unlocks in humans to see something that looks kind of human, but you know isn't. Yeah, it is. It is absolutely a striking use of just psychology to incorporate that into your monster design, into your movie monster design. They also took into account that humans, a majority of humans have a re- a innate reaction to things that scuttle, which is why the aliens tend to run all, on all four. Which is wild because the word scuttle is so cute. And yet. Yeah. And yet. It's just that jar, like that unsettling movement, that unsettling gait. Also, in the first movie, there was actually someone piloting the suit. Like it was, it was just a suit. I didn't. It was know a that. suit. It was a suit. Oh gosh, that somehow makes it a little more frightening. Also, people were passing out on the set because the the spacesuits weren't very well vented. Oh, oh, there's so, there's so much trouble with practical effects. Yeah. And it's not like it it's not like trouble in a annoying sense. It's trouble in like it's it's just really hard to make practical effects that are safe and comfortable for the actors to and actresses to work around. Thinking about the C3PO suit for for Star Wars. For uh, I think all of them really. Oh, there was I don't remember what movie or show it was but there was a movie or show where like partway through oh it's one of the godzilla movies one of the old godzilla movies the godzilla starts suit started falling apart in middle of filming oh and so you can actually see like part of his part of the actor's fingertips poking through it (laughs) i have briefly in the past talked about the uh, 1938 showing or or broadcasting of Orson Welles' War of the Worlds, like the radio broadcasting. Uh. And I, I bring this up because in my research, I was, I was thinking a lot about like the origins of these legends and things. And I wanted to know where the, like, I wanted to try to figure out where the origins of the quote-unquote little green men stereotype for aliens came from. Because it's kind of a weird choice. Like, the little gray or green, sort of bulbous-headed aliens. 
And during my research, and I'll get to that in a second, but during my research, I I stumbled upon a story about this this news broadcast. And it seems like that broadcast, the the broadcast causing a panic is actually kind of a myth. The broadcast did happen, and there were a lot of news articles. It seems that there were a lot of news articles that were released that claimed that this radio broadcast caused a widespread panic, but that not only was it not a widespread panic due to a number of factors, one being... It wasn't just announced at the beginning of the show. It was also announced several times throughout the show that, hey, this is a fun Halloween broadcast. We're just doing it in a neat style. It's not real. It's all it's all a show. But there was a for for the broadcast, there was a kind of a bad scheduling decision. And it was on at the same time as a popular comedy variety show that was airing at the time known as the Chase and Sanborn Hour. So the number of people actually tuning into this broadcast was a lot lower than people would have liked. The numbers that I saw were only about 2% of the people contacted out of the 5,000 households that uh, one company sort of contacted to get an idea of who was watching or who was listening to what only about two percent of them actually said the war of the worlds broadcast and that none of them really spoke of it as a news broadcast or a special bulletin about aliens but at the time radio was still fairly new and it seems like newspapers were kind of perpetuating this mass hysteria myth after the broadcast as a dig on radio to try and sort of squash the radio's pop radio's popularity a little bit. I found kind of a f- funny quote from a, a proposed a, a supposed quote from a New York Times editorial where they go on to say that radio is new but it has adult responsibilities. It has not mastered itself or the material it uses. Which is a fairly scathing Remark, but also just to me at least, it was a striking reminder that nothing is new and people have been saying the same thing about everything since forever. People say the same thing about the internet, the same thing about Twitter, and the same thing about. People said the same thing about pencil and paper when that first became popular. They're like, kids these days don't know how to use their slates and their chalk they're not always going to have paper on hand which to be fair we don't anymore but that's only because what was it in, what was it in high school billy you're not always going to have a calculator on hand you're not always going to have a calculator on hand meanwhile meanwhile here in 2021 where every single person in this country with very few exceptions has a device in their pocket which absolutely can function as a calculator and perform fairly advanced mathematics. And that's not even limited to smartphones. There are all a good number of flip phones that have a calculator function. People have always been critical of technology as it advances. I'm sure that uh, people lamented the downfall of humanity at the invention of the printing press. 
and how people are going to forget how to write. They're just going to use all those little cubes now, which to be fair, actually, people are struggling a little bit with writing. So that one might have had some merit. I'm kidding. People are still writing volumes. So it sounds like the War of the Worlds broadcast, which, by the way, I, Billy, I don't know if you saw, I posted, I did not post this. You can actually listen to that entire radio broadcast. Oh, it is currently up on YouTube. You can listen to the unedited, it's like an hour-long uh, Radio 1938 broadcast of The War of the Worlds. It's the complete, it's got all the, like, the bulletin, the news bulletin stuff, and, like, it's all in there. You can just listen to it on YouTube. It's, gosh, the internet is a big place. But anyway, what else you got, Billy, before I kind of jump into more about the little green men? I feel like it's time that I add context for that picture I posted. Oh, all right. Because I don't love that picture. So that'll go in our spoilers without context here. Let me download it now. Apparently, I, I wasn't aware of this, but the, the Curios- Curiosity rover has been doing some work on Mars. Yes. Well, I assume you were aware that the Curiosity I, rover I was, was doing aware work that we on have, Mars. But... I, ha- I was aware we have a the rover on Mars because yeah. people are celebrating its birthday. Yes. So was the rover. It was playing happy birthday to itself. It was very, it was wonderful. <laughs> Tragic. Well. Anyways, he picked up two pictures. Well, a few pictures, but two in spe- specifically I'm going to talk about here. One is what people believe to be a tiny pebble-sized Martian. <laughs> a pebble-sized Martian? So apparently one of the pictures, there was a, I'm going to say rock it's hard to make out what it is specifically, but uh-huh. it's feminine appearance. It has a feminine appearance. It looks like a woman. Okay. And so people immediately were like, it's a Martian. Uh-huh. But looking around, t- taking a closer look at that picture, if that is a Martian, size of a pebble. Now that one, it caught another picture of a cliffside, and a- that is a zoom in on part of that picture. People saw that and went, Mars crustacean. Crabs on Mars. I, d- I definitely Mars. I definitely don't love that picture. Like, it absolutely does look like some weird, flat, round, spidery creature. And I'm sure it's just... I'm sure it's nothing, but... Well... I, I, I do hate looking at it. People... People saw that, and, you know, one sub- subset of people were like, it's, it's a crab on Mars, that's cool. Another group of people, oh god, it's a mar it's a crab on Mars. Mm-hmm. We're doomed. And then the more rational side of humanity is like, I don't know, it could be a cloud, like a dust cloud that's just kicked up in that spot and it makes it look weird. Hey, I mean, if carcinogen carcinogen carcin- the crab evolution thing is anything to judge by, maybe maybe the living organisms on Mars just evolved into crabs. Could ha- could have happened. Maybe. We might we might see Oh no. If we've discovered crabs on Mars, that means we're one step away from being in the Starship Troopers universe. You know, I don't know what that means, but I am terrified. If we find a planet called Kalindathu, I'm I'm dipping. Well, we could name things whatever we want, Billy. I meant like if if the other if if the planet that we find establishes its name as Kalindathu? If we if we name a planet Kalindathu. Where are you going, Billy? This is a universal concept. Not a universal concept, but this is a universe-wide concept that you're talking if about. We, if we find a desert planet and happen to name it Klandathu, I'm out. Now, I, I just, I, I, that seems like an extreme take, Billy. For, 
if we for have our listeners, we have like, media. Oh, continue. The the planet that I'm referring to is from the I don't remember when the Starship movie came Troopers. Out. It's from the it's from the movie Starship Troopers, which came out in 1997. It's a the movie is about a humanity fighting against a horde of alien bugs. And the planet of origin of those alien bugs is named, we've named Kalindathu. If you are afraid of spiders or large bugs, I do not recommend watching the movie. It was uh, mediocre? It. I'm sure it was very popular. It, I'd give it a 7 out of 10. Mm-hmm. It looks like a, a B film. Story is kind of weak, but cool there aliens. is a lot of anti-bug propaganda. <laughs> 8 out of 10. Would would squash spiders again. I'm just saying, Billy, if we have popular media in which there is a desert planet with crabs on it that is that we have named Klandathu, it just makes it more likely in the future that scientists will find a desert planet. Well, if scientists find a desert planet, they will name it Klandathu. Scientists yeah. are all universally nerds. <laughs> That's just how they name things. There's some cell, some cell or molecule in our body that is named after Pikachu, and I don't remember which one, but <laughs> it is a thing. I forgot about that. It's a protein that is in humans. It is encoded by something. I don't know the sci- all the science for it, but it was named after Pikachu, and... <sighs> there was a second movie. Okay. And so the first one's all about shooting bugs and about winning the war. Yes. The second one is... Starship Troopers, colon, among us. The the alien bugs have found a way to become humans. Uh-oh. And so it takes place on a on a star base, and they basically just play a game of Among Us. Who's the imposter? Turns out it's everyone. Well, hang on. That's spoilers, isn't it? Not quite. There's way more to the story. <laughs> it's also somehow worse than Starship Troopers, the first one. That seems unlikely, but I'll take your word for it. So the Starship Troopers movie is in there. Was, there was a whole like comic book and book series about Starship Troopers before the movie, right? the The second movie adds on to that canon, but kind of ignores most of the canon, and the result is the second movie, which don't you don't really get a mention of the the first movie until the very end. It's kind of like an Aliens three. Jumping back to kind of what I was talking about with the the origins of the little green men sort of trope. It's actually kind of interestingly deep. There are a number of sources naturally because, you know, obviously this kind of stuff is difficult to pin down. But it kind of seems like there's two or three main places that kind of led into this uh led into like the little green men being a popularized way of describing extraterrestrial life forms not describing but calling them like that's the the stereotype or whatever one being one of the earliest reports of a an alien encounter where the the extraterrestrials were referred to in at, like described as small humanoids with bulbous heads and this metallic green-gray skin. This being a report from 1955 from the Sutton family in Kelly, Kentucky. Okay, so it's Kelly, Kentucky. Uh, The Suttons, though, uh, at around 11 o'clock at night, showed up at 
the Hopkinsville police station. And we're all freaking out talking about seeing a strange object with sort of quote unquote, let's see, a a strange silvery object, quote unquote, real bright with an exhaust all the colors of the rainbow. Hmm. supposedly it came silently towards the house, passed over it, stopped in the air, and then dropped straight to the ground. The story then goes on about this family's encounter with this creature that came out of the small object, this creature being roughly three and a half feet tall with an oversized head, arms that extended almost to the ground, hands that had talons, oversized eyes that glowed with a yellowish light, supposedly this creature was shot quite a bit. Oh. Which didn't kill it, but rather just kind of scared it off. It proceeded to kind of torment the household running around, uh, spooking them a little bit before they finally got in their car and just trucked it out of there. The... Police did actually go and check it out because, you know, these guys were supposedly genuinely terrified. I There is one report of one of them having a heartbeat of around 144 beats per minute, which is just oh, pretty high. A little bit high. Not death high, but, you know, high enough to be very frightened. There was no conclusive evidence found other than a farmhouse full of bullet holes, but this story still took off. It still became kind of a sensation. Even in as recent as, I think it was 2010, a, a festival was made in a, in a nearby area kind of in honor, quote-unquote, of this incident, referred to as like the Little Green Man Festival or something. There are a lot of potential explanations, uh, including but not limited to a deliberate host, owls, etc. But it was one of the earlier stories uh, of an extraterrestrial encounter that described these creatures as little green men or little gray men. So we've had stories of little green humanoids for a lot longer than we've had we've been talking about aliens. In particular, English folklore in general, western folklore is filled with goblins and fairies and one of my favorite Arthurian legends is the story of the Green Knight. There are just a ton of legends about this. It wouldn't surprise me if that in some way inspired some of these quote-unquote sightings. One of the more famous tales of green people, like little green people, would be the Green Children of Woolpit, which is a story from roughly around the 12th century where a small boy and girl with green-tinged skin and strange clothes speaking an unfamiliar language who both refused to eat regular food for quite some time, seeming unfamiliar with it, were discovered in, I think it is actually the area of Woolpit. These children were taken in by one of the local local people and eventually began to learn to, like, they, they started recognizing some of the foods that they were being given and learned, you know, started eating. And the boy, the 
eventually became sick and died, supposedly. But his sister actually seemed to survive and actually thrived. Uh, her skin eventually lost that greenish hue and she learned to talk the local language and all that. Which to me just kind of seems like a story about people from a different country, basically, but a different land. Not a different land, like, extraterrestrially or extra-dimensionally, but a different place like, you know, Alaska. Yeah. Alaska, maybe not being the specific place in mind, but the girl went on to describe the place that she lived to be a a place, a land with no sun, but what had something like the amount of light of, that you see after sunset, like just after sunset that kind of dusk lighting, which naturally would spook a fair number of people, except there are places like that. There are also places with the opposite of that. Like Alaska is basically always lit. There's just some areas of it where, where there's at a certain time of year that Alaska is always lit. I think Alaska just basically never really gets super dark. Like they have super long days up there. I can't remember the exact details about that, but I remember the stories that my mom Mom told after going on a trip there for for a while, and kind of the difficulties with sleeping and kind of how your your sleep schedule got really out of whack because it was just always daylight. But those are kind of a couple different places that I f- that seem to be some of the some of the leading influences into referring to aliens as little green men. Naturally, once the War of the Worlds became popular and. Uh, various other, you know, popular media. It just started to sort of reinforce and snowball this idea into something that became the ingrained cultural take that it is today, at least here in the States. While they are initially lizard-like in appearance, these creatures employ molecular shape-shifting and laser holograms to take on any form. Hmm. Add powers of telepathy and invisibility and you've got a force to be reckoned with. According to Rusak... Reptilians see the Earth as their outpost. They want complete control over it because their planet is becoming unable to support life. Conspiracy theorist David Icke fears that reptilian humanoids are secretly transforming the Earth into a global fascist state, but Kundalini claims these aliens are no match for our chi force. I don't know what our chi force is, if it is referenced to a particular armed force or if it's referenced to the sort of life energy of ki, in uh, many uh, forms of Eastern philosophy and and theology, but uh, that's pretty wild. We're not at risk of secret reptilian aliens turning the Earth into a global fascist state because we have too much life energy. I've always been a fan of the uh, the stories or movies where the aliens have a bizarre weakness. Something very specific to Earth. It's almost always the case, right? Like the aliens and signs. Or one of my, one of, I'm going to say favorite movies. It's not necessarily a good movie. Mars Attacks. Have now, heard of it? I have. That weakness, they they have an excuse for that weakness, and that is mostly because that entire movie is a parody. For our listeners who don't know, Mars Attacks is a, is, is a movie, it's, it's a satire movie. That movie is so much satire. Where these aliens arrive on Earth. Little green men. Little green men with very big bulbous brain heads, and they they come initially to offer peace, 
and hip a a female hippie releases a dove, which they take as a sign of war. And then it's discovered eventually that the weakness to the aliens is music. I think it was a very specific kind of music, but I I do not know how to describe it. So we'll just take it as we'll just we'll just call it uh music. I don't know if it was just, I don't remember. It, it's been a while since I've watched that movie. Well, Billy, I don't think we need to reach for filler considering obviously I think this time around there's like there there's no I think trying to find the deepest lore for this episode is something that's a little a little bit of a fool's errand. Yeah. Because we can like it's fun to talk about things like, you know, the reptilians, like I that like I was describing, where, you know, some people believe that they are a an alien race that's trying to turn Earth into a global fascist state, apparently, but they're no match for us because of our chi force. I, what? All right. We could keep rambling on all day from, from yes, various angles. I already have enough stuff to kind of sift through and cull, including a uh, five-minute chunk of silence. Well, almost silence. I might leave the we the me channel music in probably will not going back to what I was saying about the deep lore listeners. If you tell us about the kinds of aliens that you think are, are, are funny or more obscure or more interesting that we didn't go over there. Are, I like, I still, I have stuff on my list of notes that I haven't talked about just cause I didn't think it was necessarily, there was necessarily an opening form. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at Deplorable or get in touch with us through email at deplorablecontact at gmail.com for suggestions, comments, concerns, remarks. And uh, Billy, do you have anything else to add? I do not. All right. Well, then I've been Michael Bastine. And I'm Billy Staples. Are you sure? Uh, you know, I've, I seem to have misplaced my name tag, but I'm... 70% sure I'm Billy Staples. Okay. Thank you all for listening, and you will hear from us next time. Bye.